You're about to hear my conversation with John Cook and Constantine Bomer, uh, two gentlemen who have been investing in the sustainable economy for many, many years. We talk all about the McKenzie Green Book, the contents within it, and their view on the future of the environmental economy. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be here with Constantine Bomer and John Cook. Constantine leads our fixed income team and our efforts in sustainable fixed income, and John Cook is co-lead of our Green Ship Boutique. Gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Matt. Hey, Matt. Uh, we're here in early 2023, and at McKenzie, that means that we're uh, in the process of delivering a bunch of different colorful books. Uh, so we've had podcasts on our uh, orange book, which is our long-term forecast, blue book, short-term forecast, and we're here today to talk about the green book, which is all about the environmental economy. John, I thought we'd uh, get started with you. Uh, you speak of three drivers behind your investment thesis and all of them reaching a milestone in 2022. What are the drivers and what milestones do they reach? Yeah, um, there, we've said for 15 years, there are three long-term drivers um, and those are demographic changes where we're not only getting having more people on the planet, but we're consuming more. And that's pushing up against the second driver, which is um, you know, uh, uh, we live on a planet of finite resources, and it's not so much that we're running out, but the resources are becoming more expensive to extract and process and so on. And the final one is environmental degradation. And that the, the biggie is climate change, but it includes, you know, ocean acidification, uh, soil degradation, and so on. So they're, they're converging together to uh, increase the value of solutions to those challenges. And that's what we're trying to invest in. Great. Uh, and uh, and you had mentioned in the, the Green Book and your recent write-ups that they've all surpassed a particular milestone in, in 2022. Uh, what were those milestones? Yeah, no. Uh, in uh, November of last year, we passed through 8 billion people. Uh, in um, it, it was, in, and the final numbers aren't in yet, but it looks like it will be the hottest year on record. And then, um, you know, everybody knows we, we went through tremendous cost inflation in basic commodities. Some of those have come back off, but you know, just to give you one example, lithium, which is so important to batteries, you know, over the last year and a half has gone from about $5,000 a ton to went as high as $80,000 a ton. It's back around $70,000 a ton, but you know, 15 times the price right. of a key important in input for batteries, just as an example. Perfect. And we'll come back to talking about some of those examples in, in more detail uh, throughout the conversation. Constantine, maybe I'll turn it to you next. Um, the estimates are that there's a tremendous investment that's required in order to, to uh, sort of green the economy, meet our climate goals. I've heard numbers of uh, 2 to $3 trillion. Uh, your space being fixed income is going to be the cornerstone of sort of that capex that's required. Uh, what volume of debt issuance did you see within that sustainable uh, space uh, within 2022 yeah so actually that uh, space did see a little bit of a decline which is very unusual if we just look at the past few years where sustainable fixed income basically just 
had one record year after the next and we started off by just a, f a few billion dollars and then it went to a few tens of billion dollars and then a few hundreds billions of dollars and then we crossed the trillion dollar mark uh, just a couple of years ago and that trend seemed to continue but I think uh, last year was a little bit also of an exceptional year with I mean, of everyone of your uh, listeners will know that fixed income had a little bit of a rough year with all the interest rate hikes that we've seen from central banks globally. And that in general led to much less issuance of bonds. So the overall issuance of bonds, whether that is sustainable or not, went down by quite a bit. But that also impacted sustainable fixed income. So that market as a whole did not surpass the previous level. So we're still, it's still a significant amount of issuance of, I think it was one and a half trillion or so last year. So it's still a major growth driver. So that market as a, as a whole continues to grow tremendously, but it wasn't a new record setting year of, uh, of new issuance, but uh, I mean, f uh, I think it, it it held its ratio fairly stable. So okay. if you look at how how regular bonds or the the overall issuance of fixed income has behaved, that is uh, has come down uh, to an equal amount. So it is in that sense quite comparable, but not a record-setting amount. Right, and within that space and within the the uh, the issuance space, has there been a, a difference in uh, the composite composition of that market? Are, are different uh, organizations or governments uh, issuing that debt, or has that been uh, fairly constant? Yeah, um, the, it is. Uh, short answer is yes. The composition is different, and I I personally think the quality is is going up in terms of what we as investors can look at and kick, can pick and choose from. Because the initial stages, it was all about just the cleanest of the clean were able to, to really participate in this space. But now you see a lot more issuance also of maybe more previously dirtier companies or dirtier industries that are bringing out labeled debt, so sustainable uh, fixed income uh, products. And that is, I think, a great development of the market as a whole. It, it, it shows that it is becoming a little bit more mature. It is not only the the squeaky clean issuers are, right. are able to, to raise money here. It is also a path for other companies to transition and to, to find ways to maybe change their industry model and use that part of the financing world to to accelerate that transition. That's great and uh, a theme that I think we'll come back to uh, throughout the conversation as well. Um, to bring things more into context, I guess of the broader uh, economy when we when we talk about uh, not just the environmental economy, but 2022, uh, Constantine, you hit on a, a couple of the big stories with uh, interest rates impacting debt issuances. Uh, that was in response to very high inflation numbers. Uh, part of that inflation story was the invasion of uh, Ukraine by Russia and other um, challenges on uh, on global uh, political tensions. Um, how do they? How do those sort of big stories impact the environmental economy specifically? Maybe I'll start with John and, and Constantine. I'd love your your thoughts on it after. 
Um, well, I'll be really quick on Russia because uh, I think Constantine would have more to add on that. But it, it clearly highlighted the fragility of our global energy systems and um, in our space, really important supply chains like the production of neon, which is so important um, for uh, power management, semi all semiconductor manufacturing. You know, 50% of that came out of the Ukraine. And so it just exacerbated supply chains in these important areas. Um, maybe Constantine, you could talk about some of the other implications. And then, and then I would like to talk about Inflation Reduction Act, which I think is the second big known unknown uh, that okay. came out of last year. Constantine? Yeah, so I, I agree. I mean, what we've seen with the Russian invasion into Ukraine was a, I think, a watershed event also for exposing some of the shortcomings that we have in our existing infrastructure. And right, it, 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 it wasn't all about that. I think we've seen even in, like in other places around the world, uh, energy shortages and rolling blackouts. If you remember, maybe I think it was 2021 in China, we've seen plenty of that happening. So uh, this is just further exposing those uh, those shortcomings. And that's um, maybe an inconvenient time to, to make changes, but oftentimes it is also that those crises are accelerating trends that were underway anyway, but they are just adding an additional piece of urgency to, to that movement. And I think that's what we will see here, that especially in Europe, where right the, the most exposed out of all the, the regions in the world uh, to this effect, that there will be a significant amount of investment that will go into the build-out of infrastructure in the build-out of more energy security, that it is not all about, right, not just importing uh, natural resources from maybe even from concentrated from one place in the world, but that it is like we need to, and countries need to get to the point where they have a much greater sense of energy independence. I think from a government perspective, that is an exceptionally high priority because it is maybe from a political side also somewhat acceptable by the population if you run into that problem once. And if that happens by a, let's say a black swan event, like a, a war where one country all of a sudden invades another one and uh, that will is disru disrupting critical infrastructure, I think it is not acceptable if those kind of situations were to happen again in the future. And as such, I think there's a great urgency to create that independence and that will require massive amounts of money. I think th that money would have been spent anyway over time, but that, that uh, 2022 serves as an accelerator of that. And right when we look at prices of gas, coal, electricity, right, that is if there's ever a, a an indicator that policymakers 
can point to or need to point to 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 create some urgency they have it right there so my expectation is that this will be for years to come as seen as the the watershed moment that led to dramatic increases in spending into that space and a lot of that will be in sustainable fixed income a lot of that will be in renewable uh, sources and that's interesting space for sure very interesting um yeah you touch on a, a couple of points there about uh, capital spending and, and the prioritization of energy independence um the inflation reduction act doesn't directly or has elements of that uh within it and john i know that you wanted to comment on that um so yeah what do, it, what do you... it's funny you know um in some ways the the, the russia ukraine situation became sort of a fourth driver for our space as constantine suggested um I'm actually, in, in, in a strange way, more concerned about protectionism and deglobalization long term and the implications that may have on our space. So, you know, the market reaction to uh, the Biden government's announcement that there would be, you know, under just under half a trillion dollars of subsidies, of which a tremendous amount was going to be uh, targeted at our space, at green industries. And it, and it is working in some ways. Um, you know, you, you in the last month, we've seen announcements from Hanwha, Enel, uh, JA Solar, Jinko Solar, all about building new solar manufacturing plants in the United States of significant size. But there's very little analysis on where the raw materials are going to come from to actually make those solar panels. And so if you, you know, re uh, or onshoring manufacturing jobs sounds really positive, but if you require uh, a global trade environment to actually feed those factories, right. um, this deglobalization or re-onshoring of manufacturing, they're working at cross purposes. And I think what it might set off, and I'm, this is not my thought, there's, there's no shortage that we can read on this, is there's going to be a response from uh, North American friends, and those seem to be new incentives in Europe, new incentives in parts of Asia that don't want to lose their manufacturing jobs and their uh, progress they've made so far in uh, environmental industries. And so I think this is uh, very concerning, and the, the immediate uh, investor glee around this new spending in our space um, is, to me, a little bit concerning. Um, I'll leave it at that. But uh, but so a lot happened in to summarize a lot happened in 2022 between the war and this deglobalization and subsidy programs that um, is good and bad. And it's going to play out over years. History will tell us which side of that spectrum it, it falls most on. Perfect. Uh, that's a, a great way to, to sort of give us an overarching con, uh, context of 2022 and the environmental economy. Let me dive a little bit more into some of the themes that we address within that green book uh, specifically. Uh, John, I'll start with you. You talked uh, a lot about uh, being bullish on solar projects uh, and you favor them over uh, wind. Um, what's the rationale behind uh, your bullishness behind solar uh, over, over wind? To put really, sim put really simply, uh, it requires a lot less, fewer molecules to make a solar panel than it does to 
make a giant wind turbine with all that cement and steel and epoxy and wood and so on. So solar is just smaller. It also, um, you also can construct solar power plants much more quickly. They're more reliable. We know when the sun shines more than we know when the wind's going to blow. But the biggest one uh, right now is the inflationary cost. So um, it's not only that it, it requires more molecules to build wind equipment, but the development time frame is much longer. And, and I'd be interested in what Constantine has to say on this too, because you think it's two years to develop a solar plant. That's only two years of development financing. And for wind, it's up to 10 years. And so development financing costs have gone up. And so my question back to Constantine would be, you know, how should we be modeling 10 years of development versus two years of development financing costs? And I'm guessing they're higher. Oh my God. All right. So fixed income yields. So we've seen um, like one of the most crazy years in terms of changes in interest rates. Definitely the uh, that I've seen in my career, probably that anyone has seen in, in their careers. But uh, yeah, I mean, long-term financing costs have gone up dramatically. And that is all across the board. If you look at like high yield issuers, right? They have to pay now uh, eight, eight and a half percent just for their regular five-year bonds, which is a complete departure from the times that we've seen just a, a year and a bit ago when all of those same issuers, same credit quality, same everything were able to to finance themselves at four to five percent, which was of course at that time exceptionally low. But I think interest rate costs have gone from being a non-issue for companies where that was just, yeah, you can easily borrow money. It's the markets are wide open. You don't really have to consider the cost of borrowing money to a significant degree into your planning and calculations to something which is much, much closer to home, much closer to being a, a component in your in your in your calculation that is is a meaningful factor and that is because the the cost of financing has gone up so significantly and of course we don't know with certainty how the future will play out and uh, especially for for folks who are financing maybe in variable terms right that is that has been a major shocker in terms of maybe looking at some of the projects that they were interested in and maybe that they also already have begun to 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 act on where all of a sudden the economics of that same project are changing because the variable nature of their their, their borrowed money is is making a meaningful impact on the bottom line so i think it is it has it is it has increased in terms of the priority that people need to look at for investors that are really interested in that space and that are investing money in that space and that oftentimes of course require borrowed money to do so that um yeah that it is uh, a a component that is not a tertiary one but it is maybe secondary i'm sure it's not a primary one but it is getting up there in terms of its importance. 
Interestingly, what we're seeing is as the development costs go up, existing assets that you know have been paid for effectively, the value of those is increasing. And so um, some of the utilities that we hold, you would think they're interest rate sensitive, but they're getting very attractive offers right now for existing assets. Yeah, because maybe the, the cost of just building it new when you have to include all financing costs and everything, and of course, the inflation that we've seen in so many bits and so many parts of the economy, plus the shortages in certain key resources, right? It is very hard to build those projects at the same cost that you were able to, to build them just a few years ago. Makes sense. And maybe a follow up on that uh, to you, Constantine. So you talked about interest rates going up uh, and uh, and that being impactful on costs. One of the um, one of the narratives of 2022 was uh, this just general underinvestment in CapEx and all sorts of resources. That's including the fossil fuel uh, green economy. These higher interest rates are going to hit both segments of of. Um, of capex, uh, it's it's an overall interest rate. Um, does that change the uh, attractiveness uh, for, uh, I guess, for either fossil fuel companies or green uh, transition companies uh, in in the relative advantage of financing it? Uh, is there a is there a particular advantage depending if you're sort of an older fossil fuel, traditional fossil fuel, or a renewable company? Um. I would say, so maybe to, to, to start slightly different. So there is, right, whenever you use sustainable fixed income to borrow money, it is, right, the credit risk is exactly the same. So if you have a company, one company that can choose between using a regular bond, general purpose financing, for example, versus a labeled uh green debt issuance for example the credit risk is exactly the same if it's the same company it, it all rolls up to the same company so there should not be a significant difference in terms of how those two bonds uh, should be priced relative to each other they should be very very close to each other in in principle they should be e even the same because the risk is the same you can uh, think about a, a few nuances here where you can argue that uh, issuing labeled debt is right. It is purpose driven. So you, it is use of proceeds based. So you are financing a specific investment or a specific set of investments. And given that might be much more aligned with investors' interests, which is uh, right. The reason why we have. Uh, a, a massive increase of sustainable fixed income funds, green bond funds uh, throughout the world, that you see a lot of a lot more investors being interested in purposefully investing into those projects. Right, there's a, a little bit probably of a greater demand currently for those mandates, and it is I, I find also quite attractive from a, just a philosophical standpoint that you're investing into into projects that are right really well aligned maybe with the, the ideas and, and visions you have for this world but in terms of the cost it is it is very very close to each other so you talk usually about a few basis points difference 
I think last year we had New Zealand come out with their green bond and you were actually to you were actually able to earn a few basis points more on their green bonds than you were on their regular bonds but those are more the exception than the rule typically it's a few basis points less but having said all of that um what we've seen recently is that right even dirtier industries and dirtier companies and maybe one example could be someone like a capital power or so which is an alberta-based power generator they can come to the market and uh, get financing through green bonds and that is despite them having super uh, high wacky scores which is the weighted average carbon intensity or generally uh, significant esg risk overall right but they can still come to the market with uh, through green bonds because that is part of how they can transition from some of their older industries. And in, in this particular case, it is about the proactive retirement of the company's coal assets. And they are using the green bonds, uh, the issuance of those green bonds to, to accelerate that transition. And from my perspective as an investor, that is a fa fantastic idea because right, we have to transition the dirtier industries because the impact that we have here is much greater than what we have by just financing some uh, solar companies or financing something that is already doing everything right and everything great right the bigger impact is to transition the the biggest emitters of the world and help them um, become much more sustainable in the future and i love green bonds for their role that they play here that it is specifically earmarked that there is a investor interest for this and that there is uh, in in some cases also a little bit of a, uh, a cheaper financing that is available for for those companies that's great um we've spent uh, some time here talking about uh transitioning sort of fossil fuels uh the energy uh from that to generate it from solar uh wind um part of the solution here is also efficiency just doing more with the uh, current energy that we do have um john uh, you wrote uh, about efficiency within within the green book um what, what are you seeing what opportunities are you seeing in uh the efficiency um segment of the market not even sure where to start there's so many i mean i guess the easy place to start is what are the biggest trends the biggest trend is electrification you know once you've produced a bunch of green electrons then how do you actually use those in industrial processes um you know heating and cooling our homes uh lighting our our real estate and so on and so you know going backwards led lights are you know, multiples more efficient than incandescent lights. So tremendous opportunity in modern lighting, more efficient solid state lighting, um, heating and cooling, um, you know, uh, probably the fastest growth of any can, you know, HVAC product in the history of HVAC products has been heat pumps. Like you cannot get them these days in North America and Europe. I think the year over year figure in Germany, was like 80%. It's just, it's just wow. incredible the demand. And they can be up to five times more efficient in terms of heating buildings than, than burning uh, natural gas in, um, in traditional furnaces are. And 
uh, given the cost of natural gas, it's just as we, where we started, it's, it's accelerating these transitions to more efficient uh, equipment. One of the areas that um, we've done very well investing in, and I think is really important uh, to think about in terms of general electrification is power management. And so um, what I'm talking about are the components that make this electrification possible. And those are semiconductors, power management, specifically semiconductors that can operate at higher voltages and higher frequencies, which produces more heat. So they're a different kind of chip than the type of chip that runs a computer. And then all the other electronics, um, multi-layer ceramic capacitors, um, you know, switches, uh, rectifiers, uh, the ability to switch from AC to DC, and so on. All this, uh, uh, the, the pieces, the, the picks and shovels that make electrification possible are not obvious places for investors to put their capital. They're not the headline producing manufacturers like a Tesla would be, sure. and yet absolutely essential to making the electric car work. So those have been very productive places for us to invest in areas we continue to be interested in. That's great. You referenced Tesla there. I think that what a lot of people think about the the greening of the economy, they think Teslas, they think solar farms, um, that type of thing. One thing that generally doesn't jump to mind, I'd say, of the average uh, individual uh, is agriculture. Uh, yet agriculture is a big uh, emitter of uh, greenhouse gases. Uh, John, what are you seeing in agriculture in order to sort of improve that that footprint uh, and uh, and make things more efficient? Yeah, I put a number on it. I think agriculture is responsible for about 20% of emissions. And that, uh, you know, it comes from ruminants like, you know, livestock um, burping, uh, which, which emits methane. It comes from the production of uh, fertilizers, particularly nitrogenous uh, fertilizers, which use lots of natural gas, which gets reformed and make ammonia. Um, and, and I think that the, the main plays in agriculture are really, again, all about efficiency. So, uh, farm equipment can make tremendous improvements when you when you attach GPS technologies with data to tractors. You can be much more efficient in terms of where you're putting down herbicides, insecticides, fertilizers, where you're irrigating, and how much you need to irrigate. And so we're seeing those at the very front end uh, efficiency gains um, in terms of inputs. More efficient tractors use less diesel fuel. Um, and then we're, uh, we, we, we have a tremendous energy consumption in terms of handling food, moving it from the farm to the, the retail shelves that we buy, refrigerating it or whatnot. I talked earlier about heat pumps. Those can be applied to refrigeration of mm -hmm. food and so on. So it's really across the value chain. There's tremendous opportunity. And again, it kind of, it kind of takes a backseat to the retail products like Tesla's. Um, and yet um, there was some great upside in agriculture in the last year. And part of that driven by, you know, what was happening in the war in, in, um, in Europe. But, um, but we think there's a very long term, you know, multi-decade trend to greater agricultural efficiency. That's great. I think we spent some time here talking about sort of the non-obvious um, uh, segments of the environmental economy. And it, it seems to me that over 2022, that the investment community, maybe public perception in general, has shifted from sort of this idealism uh, where you just invest in wind farms and, and uh, everything will, will go past us to more pragmatic, uh, where there's real trade-offs, there's real uh, tension on uh, on how to actually transition the economy. Uh, maybe, Constantino, I'll 
we'll start with you. Do you agree with that uh, view that I've just laid out? And if you do, what do you think that means for the future of the environmental economy? Yeah, I think it is a it is helping shape. I think the industry, the the industry, at least on the fixed income side. But I'm uh, also curious to hear how John thinks about it from the equity side. So, right, it it all started off, and I think that's uh, right similar to what I mentioned from the from the beginning. It is it started off by just being the do no present day harm issuers were able to come to the market under that uh, banner of sustainable fixed income. And that is uh, is good, of course, but it is, I think you're, you're missing the point, which is what are you trying to achieve, right? And that is always the, the biggest uh, question that I have, like what problem are you trying to solve? Are you trying to solve uh, for just that those companies should uh, get an extra badge of honor or whether they you you're helping only companies that are already doing everything right or are you actually trying to change let's say the the globe to become more sustainable in the future and if the goal is the the latter then I think you have to address the elephants in the room. And those elephants are like the emerging markets. Those elephants are the dirtier industries because, right, you have to, I think the, the biggest impact that you can generate is by by looking at those areas in the world. So that is probably the second area it is like it is shifting from do uh, the least present harm today to supporting the largest positive future impact, right? And that is another major area where I think the the, the market has to evolve and has also evolved over the past few years or quarters or years. So we are moving more into that space. And I, I think that's that's fantastic because the the delta the the change that you can get here is is tremendous. But then as investors, right, we also have to see um, that our clients also want the best possible return. So how do we square those three things up? Where we have we we probably don't want to do a lot of harm today. We want to support positive future impact with the investments that we make. But our clients, of course, also would like to see uh, really good returns as we come along. So measuring also how what is what is success in that space and how is that defined is, I think, an important evolution of that space of the sustainable fixed income space and maybe not too dissimilar on the on the equity side. I think that's some um, learning that still needs to happen in in around the industry because it is not an easy solution that you can say, I want to do the least harm today, but also expect the greatest possible returns, right? Those things, they are not all, they don't all work at the same time. And I think we need to be flexible enough in this space here that we have to be able to look at all of those various areas within 
like maybe within the goal that we are trying to achieve uh, and maybe also go into spaces which weren't all too popular just a few years ago where right, I think it makes sense to, to be invested in some of the uh, dirty areas of the world in order to make the biggest change. And oftentimes that's also where maybe some of the greater financial rewards will also be found. And I think that's uh, an important discussion that we will continue to have in this space, but I think it is starting, it is beginning, and I think we will talk about this a lot more in the in the coming years. And John, same question, but from the equity perspective, uh, does it parallel what Constantine has said, or is it is there a distinction there? No, I think he's got it right. I mean, we so we went through a period, a decade long, probably a couple decade long period, where uh, investors could get very high returns off very low capex investing in businesses. And we invested it, in my view, in a lot of businesses that we didn't really need, like they didn't heat your homes and they didn't feed your populations. And now what Constantine just said is, we've got to think much more about what we need. And that is going to be higher CapEx investments. And the other other dynamic that has to change is this idea of just taking rent off our existing economy which um, you know, is, is usually the decline of most civilizations is when they start doing this. We have to get back to capital investment, which is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be entrusted with investors' money and make investments, capital investments in uh, capital goods, plant and equipment that can produce terrific returns in the future. And our view has been for a long time that the environmental economy, it's not just about the environment, it's about investing in what we most need. And long-term, that should produce superior returns with terrific uh, barriers around them for investors. Um, And so, uh, you know, doing this through both equities, you asked about equities, but equities and fixed income, focusing the capital on where we most need to go. That's what the Green Book is trying to get at. And I do think there were some encouraging changes last year, but as Constantine added, we still have some work to do. Work to, work to do. And it may be a final question for both of you, um, and you've sort of uh, maybe tipped your cards a little bit on the answer to this one, but um, coming through 2022, significant changes. Has it ultimately made you more optimistic? You did mention at the beginning it's the hardest, hottest year on, on record. Uh, we're still seeing an increase in, in uh, greenhouse gases uh, year over year. Um, so would you, would you say that you're more optimistic or more pessimistic coming into 2023? Should I John, go first? Let's, yeah, Constantine. All go right, ahead. all right. So that uh, John can have the final words here. Um, I yeah, I am more optimistic, and I would maybe couch it by saying that there's uh, d- different areas that uh, we should look at in terms of the economy. So where is capex going? Is capex flowing? I am more uh, confident here for the reasons we right we we laid out at the beginning, where right that extra sense of urgency from um, right ex- exposing the the vulnerabilities in the system, right that is a, such a, a strong argument to boost capex and to rally behind the flag and do whatever it takes in order to get it done. I think if 
I'm uh, I've lived in in Europe for many years. Things oftentimes take a little bit extra time there, and that might still be the case despite that extra urgency. But I'm generally quite quite confident that eventually this will be the the path that they will take because the the cost of not doing it are just too large in my opinion both from a political sense but also from an economic sense if i just look at the cost of energy that uh, that europe currently is 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 still paying so I, i'm relatively optimistic here <clears throat> i think that uh, in a similar vein that is also true in, in the us i mean the uh, both of you mentioned the inflation reduction act that is uh, a, a right it's the largest public investment in climate finance in history so that is a, a major step into that direction and there's probably more to come uh, as well in that regard when it comes to then <clears throat> not the economy but the fixed income market for sustainable uh, that that is right I, i'm actually also quite optimistic because there are a lot of good new innovation that is happening in this space and that is that's what you want from a new industry you want to to see new innovation right it is not that the first product has to be the only one that will remain i think green bonds have lots of really good features but they also have some flaws and i think the innovation will address uh, those flaws little by little and I'm excited to see what will come, whether that is uh, right. We greater risk sharing between issuers and investors is, I think, a, a big topic that I'm quite excited about, where um, right, if you're financing certain projects, maybe there's there are ways of how we can partner up with the issuers of maybe sharing the success a little bit more or sharing the failures. Uh, hopefully not, but but uh, right that that that's that, that that's what risk sharing is. That there's a little bit more of an uh, of an alignment here between issuers and investors. So I'm quite excited about that. And right, we do actually also quite some work on on our team to bring that innovation further. Right, it is not that we're sitting here on our hands and just waiting to see what others are are doing. We're trying to play our role in that uh, in that industry as well and are working with issuers to come up with new innovative ways of raising money and of sharing some of those risks and i'm excited about that because that's like the excitement also of being in a newer industry that you can still shape it and then you can still push it into the direction that you feel it should go and if you are having some expertise and some leadership then right we we can really make it also count so i'm quite excited about that and i hope that uh, i'll be on this podcast again maybe in uh, six months to a year and can tell you about some of the exciting things that we're currently working on that's great john yeah i'm I, i'll i'll be brief um you know, I'm I'm generally by nature an optimist, but being in this space, it's very easy to become very pessimistic about where the world's going. What I try and do, and we all do on our team, is is be realist rather than worrying about being optimist or pessimist. You've got a process. You know that capital needs to go to these solutions. 
And if it's invested wisely, you can get great returns from investing that capital because desperately we need to figure out new ways to heat and cool buildings and move people and things and put food on the table. And investing in that space makes me feel good about what we do. And I think it's a realistic approach to the world we live in right now. That's great. John, Constantine, thanks so much for spending uh, time with me today to talk about the Green Book, uh, your thoughts in general about the environmental economy. Uh, I really appreciate it. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and Mackenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.